0: Hi, I'm Angie Wisdom and welcome to my podcast, Sharing Wisdom. I'm an author and a keynote speaker and a master certified coach. And for the past 25 years, I've sat across the table from fascinating people, helping them break through their obstacles to achieve success in their life and business. The One thing I've learned and believe to this day is that you are capable capable of change, capable of greatness, capable of anything you're willing to get serious about. And I want to help you get there. That's why I'm sharing all my wisdom and interviewing some of the most successful business leaders and athletes in the world so they can share their wisdom too. So get present and ready to learn. Welcome to Sharing Wisdom. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Sharing Wisdom. I'm your host, Angie Wisdom, where I sit down with some fascinating people and extract the wisdom that they have over how they have accomplished and challenges they've overcome. And today, We've got a really, really great guest for you. I've met this man in person. He's a phenomenal speaker. Matter of fact, he was actually just named by USA Today the most sought-after speaker. And you all, this is after just coming out of prison five years earlier. So, Damon West, welcome.
1: Hey, Angie, thanks a lot. It's so great to be here today. And I I really appreciate you working with my schedule because I know that this wasn't – this is something that's kind of like a moving target because – I'm on the road so much. Right. And so what being on the road means you got to be able to adapt and I appreciate you adapting with me, but I'm really excited yeah. about this conversation today. I've got a lot of stuff I want to share with your group and uh, a lot of stuff I want to talk about.
0: I love it. I love it. I know. And you're coming live from a hotel room because man, you are always on the go and, and everyone's probably like, who are you talking to if they don't know your story? So I'll, sh- I'll shine a little light on that in a moment, but you are Literally, like how many times did you speak last year?
1: Uh, I was on the road. And it, first of all, so I was going to tell you also about the USA Today thing. So I got out of yes. prison in 2015, but I didn't begin speaking immediately. But it was five years on the circuit when I got to the very, very top of it, right? Gotcha. But last okay. year, I was on the road 25 days of the month. 25 days of every month I was on the road. So that's about 300 days of the year being on the road speaking. Unbelievable. Um But yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, it's incredible. I, I cannot believe this is my life. First of all, and you're going to hear that from the story today. Second of all, I've caught momentum and in, in life, we all want to find that thing called momentum. And when you Mm -hmm. finally can catch momentum, you have to ride momentum until momentum either knocks you off or you're ready to tap out. But neither one of those things has happened yet. And, uh, I feel like I'm just getting started in some ways, even at 25 days of the month on the road.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And we've had this conversation a couple of times, you and I, between texts, talking about that momentum, because I know that you are on the road a lot, but everyone wants to hear your message. I mean, every time I turn around, you're... And I don't know all the companies, but I see you at Keller Williams, I see you at State Farm, I see you at you know athletic organizations, I see you everywhere. So I'm excited for you to bring that message here today. I do wanna let people in on who you are a little bit. Um, Damon West is actually going to be at my event in March, Get Intentional. Damon West is a three times Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and we're gonna talk about one of his books today, um, Be a Coffee Bean. You are on a speaker tour. I mean, you are majorly changing lives out there. So take the audience back a little bit about your story for those who don't know who you are.
1: Yeah, I guess the best place to start this story would probably be 15 years ago. And that was in 2009. I I know the date really well because it's a day that'll stick with me forever. May 18th, 2009, I was standing in front of a jury in Dallas and the jury, in my case, it was a case for engaging in organized criminal activity. I was the ringleader. Of a bunch of other meth addicts breaking into people's homes in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas and beyond to feed our insatiable meth habits. And um, I pull no punches about this. I was a bad guy. Never hurt anybody physically, but I stole from people. Uh, I didn't just steal property when I broke into homes. I stole people's sense of security. That's something I don't think they'll ever get back. And the jury for six days, for one week, heard a trial, this RICO case, about a guy who had it all, this guy that grew up in a little southeast Texas town from a great family, was a great athlete, Division I college football player, quarterback in Division I college football at the University of North Texas. Uh, an injury derails my career, and after that I get into drugs, but I'm a functional addict. You know, they hear about me going to work in the United States Congress, working for a guy running for president. Then getting this job in Wall Street uh, in Dallas, Texas, for the, one of the biggest banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland, And it was at that job in 2004 that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And after that, uh, after meth had stolen everything from me because my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my God, my everything, everything was gone within 18 months. I became a criminal. And then I started breaking into people's homes. And the jury at at this trial, they looked across the room and they saw this guy that at the time was unremorseful, was arrogant, was cocky, uh, was privileged. was ready to be stricken down, and the jury took that that mantle and ran with it, they came back that day on that last day of trial, and they sentenced me to life in prison for engaging in organized crime. Life in prison, Angie. I mean, this is like Mm. the maximum prison sentence they can give you for your first offense ever where nobody's physically hurt. I've found that juries in America will sentence people for one of two reasons or both. The main reason they sentence people to a lot of times is that they're afraid of someone. Another reason is that mm-hmm. they're mad at someone or it could be both. This jury in this case was mad at me. They weren't afraid of me, they were mad at me, but they sentenced me to life in prison for engaging in organized crime. And right after I was sentenced to prison, my parents were given one last visit with me in county jail. And my mom gives me this ultimatum. She tells me that you can't come back as someone we don't recognize, that you can't mm-hmm. get into one of these gangs in there, you can't get any tattoos in there. In fact, she tells me, come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And Angie, I'm stunned, I'm floored. I don't know how I'm gonna do this, right? Because I, I've never been to prison. I don't know anybody has been to prison. And I've got two months before the prison bus comes to pick me up and I'm asking all these guys in county jail, how am I gonna survive? What am I gonna do? And there was a guy I ran into in Dallas County Jail. He was really different than everybody else. I mean, different in the sense that he was super positive, had a smile on his face all the time. His mm-hmm. name was Muhammad, he was an older man. And he shared with me how I was going to do it. He said, if you want to come back as someone your parents recognize, you have to be like a coffee bean. And that's when he told Mm. me the story of the coffee bean. He said to imagine prison life as a pot of boiling water. And we have three choices how we respond to the pot of boiling water. We can be like a carrot that goes in hard, but becomes soft in the boiling water. An egg that goes in with a soft liquid core, but that soft liquid core, your heart becomes hardened in the boiling water. Mm -hmm. Or you could be like a coffee bean that changes the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. And in fact, that's the last words he ever said to me before I went to prison, be a coffee bean. And Angie, you know, whenever I heard the story of the coffee bean, immediately I got it. And that's what I've seen from audiences all over the world, right? Whether you're five or 95 Mm -hmm. years old, everybody can pick up this concept of the transformational power of the coffee bean. It was the ultimate story, I thought, of... The power coming from the inside out, not the outside in. That's how our worlds are yeah. created. We create our world from the inside out, not the outside in, the outside influences. And what it also did is it gave me a chance to, to shut down all the noise around me. It also yeah. simplified the amount of choices that I was going to have every day. Sometimes we get paralyzed mm-hmm. in life because we feel like we've got all these choices and we can't make a decision. No, you got three choices. Let it beat you down and make you soft. Let it beat you down and make you hard or change the environment, change the situation you're in with the power inside you. And I took mm-hmm. that message to the maximum security prison in Texas. And that's one of the big things we're going to hear at this presentation in March that I cannot wait to share. Cause here's what I know about my world. People love stories about sports. <laughs> I got it. Mm-hmm. People love stories about the redemption story. They love the good underdog story. Got a lot of that in the story too, but you know yeah. what people really love stories about Angie prison. People I love know. prison stories. My mom, when I got home from prison, all she wanted me to do was tell her prison stories. She, I mean, she watches Locked Up at 60 Days In, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. But this story of how I transformed myself inside of a Texas Supermax prison. I didn't just go to any prison. I went to the Mark Stiles unit in Beaumont, Texas. It's one of the toughest prisons in Texas. And Angie, honestly, it's one of the toughest prisons in America. And I can tell you a lot about Tough Prisons in America, Angie. I can tell your audience a a lot because I've become an expert in prisons, so to speak. I went back to school when I got out of prison. I got a master's in criminal justice. And I've become a professor at the University of Houston teaching a class called Prisons in America. So I've got to the educational side of it that I'm, yeah, I'm the only professor on earth to teach a prisons class at a university who lived in prison, right? So we're going to go in to the story about how I did it inside of this prison. At your event, we're going to talk about that because there's a lot of great lessons I learned with this extreme adversity. And here's what I think everybody gets when it transfers to them is most people are never going to go through a prison, right? Because that's not the normal adversity that people go through. But here's what I know about prison. There's a lot of forms of prison out there, Angie. A physical prison, Mm -hmm. which I went into, isn't even the most difficult form of prison to navigate Mm -hmm. in life. The hardest prison to do time in is the prison in your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world who are locked up by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete combined. And that's what I want to do. I want to free people from that prison of your mind because once we're freed from that and then we're working and we're living in the solution, that's when the big things start happening in life. And and that's what I found in my own life too. Angie, when I got out uh, the parole board came to see me in 2015, it was seven years into my prison sentence And the the parole people were stunned. They were kind of astonished that there's this one guy in one of the toughest prisons that's not just transforming himself, but he's transforming the entire prison. Like the the culture in prison is changing around this one guy. Culture is everything, Angie. So they want to know who this guy is. And they want to know one question at my parole hearing. And they wanted to know if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all. Tell us what that would be in just one word. And mm-hmm. um, and Angie, that you know, I'm a coffee bean. That was an easy coffee answer bean. to the question. The answer to my yeah. question was useful. Yeah, well, useful. Yeah. I just want to be, coffee beans are useful. I, I think, and here's the deal that I think, Angie, people just want to be useful. We all want to be, For sure. human beings yeah. want to belong. We want to be loved. That's why it's so important what goes on in the coaching world right now, because it helps people pull out of that stuff. And everybody's got life experiences. Everybody's got a story to tell. And everybody's got information to transfer on to other people. But sometimes it's tough to get started and understand how we do that. And that's one of the things I yeah. think I can help out with.
0: I've got so many questions. I mean, like, it. and I've seen you speak. I've had one-on-one conversations with you several times. And I'm still sitting here like, I've got another question. I've got another question. So I know the listeners are going... I have so many questions, and I remember you saying to me, you know, people love sports, people love prison stories, they like redemption. And I, do you remember what I said to you? I said I better get myself into some trouble or learn how to play some sports, right?
1: <laughs> but <laughs>
0: you're like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. <laughs>
1: that's not. That's not the way. That's not the way. Y- yeah, you don't want to go. If if it were that easy. You- there's a lot of people that get out of prison every year, and not many of them are out of the speaker circuit, and so I would say for that's probably sure. not the easiest path to get to. It was hard. Yes. Hey, and that's another lesson. Like we're gonna talk about this at your at your yeah. event, is this like you know, whatever it is you do in life, you've got to create relationships, Angie. And that's relationships mm-hmm. are everything. And sometimes in life, let's talk about we're talking about people that work in sales right now. Let's just use yeah. sales for example. You've got to make a relationship with the person across from you, this potential client, this relationship you want to build. And that person across from you, they may have a negative taste in their mouth about someone that works in sales. And it may be someone that worked in the same company you worked for that used to wear your logo that is no longer there, but burn that bridge to the ground with the last relationship. It may just Mm -hmm. be someone that works in your industry, maybe not in your industry at all. Maybe they just think all salespeople are just alike and they don't like salespeople. But here's the deal. You've got to close that gap. You've got to start from a place of less than zero to get to a place where you can be begin to build a relationship. I get it. I'm an ex-con. You think people are just dying to hang out with an ex-con? You think corporate America and Fortune 100s were just opening their arms saying, come on in here, ex-con, and share your story with us? No, yeah. man. It took years, years, and so many no's to get to where I am right now. Right now, I'm in Phoenix, and I've got the last presentation today with a company called Stryker. The biggest medical mm-hmm. device company in the world, right? They've yep. got twenty thousand salespeople over twenty divisions, and they finally hired me out to go speak to all their different sales divisions. It took years to form this relationship. Mm-hmm. I had so many doors slammed in my face because every XCON that's come before me. Think about the interactions. Then think about the mindset people have an ex- XCON. Most sure. people's interaction is negative with an XCON, but I've had to show that I'm different, and this is me. That's them that sometimes it takes years, but you got to stick with your, your brand.
0: 100%. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions. A lot of questions here. First of all, prison questions, when you're telling the beginning of this story and you're like, I'm in the you know, courtroom and this jury's looking at me going, you know, he's entitled, he's, you know, arrogant, all of this. Were you feeling that at the moment or you're saying they're making that judgment?
1: The, the, this, is a great, this is a great question because I can specifically answer your question with something that yeah. was an observation from the moment. In fact, in my, my okay. autobiography is called "The Change Agent," and yep. uh, it's my favorite of all my books. The Change Agent tells a whole story, right? But the lead juror, the, the jury foreman, uh, is a younger Hispanic guy, and this guy, he is looking at me for six days, and it's just mm-hmm. he stared at me the entire trial. And the look coming out of this guy, is just this loathing discontent. It's coming out of his pores. I can feel it. And it's not me mm-hmm. making an assumption on how he feels about me. I mean, he's, it's just a frown on his face, just looking at me like, and I, and I get the feeling of what he's, because as the evidence keeps coming out more and more and the stories about, hey, you know, this guy had it all. I mean, it's just like, yeah. I could feel it from that guy. You know, I could feel the jury for, and he wasn't wrong. It's like, right. you had it all, man. And how did you end up over there sitting at that table, and I'm over here in this box? Because I'm a, I get the power now to make a determination on you, and and that's the thing. I mean, I've given up my I've given up the power to someone else, but the choices I made, and sometimes in life, mm-hmm. that's what we do. Actions have consequences. I started feeling it that day from that 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 week from the mm-hmm. jury foreman, and um, when they sent the sentence out, you know, it confirmed what I was thinking. Man, it, they mm-hmm. hated me. The jury hated me, yeah. and and that's cool because I gave them every reason to hate
0: Yeah. And, you know, you, then you mentioned like the conversation you had with your mom in that moment, what did you feel as you knew you were going on to this next
1: journey? Uh, Shock because of the life sentence. Um, still was like registering that it happened five minutes before we had this conversation. It was right outside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. Um, fear, fear Mm -hmm. more than anything, fear of the unknown, right? We fear what we don't know. And Here's what I know about fear. Fear, fear isn't real. Angie, I know that now mm-hmm. I know that fear isn't real, but danger is real. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to respect danger. Fear is what you feel. It's emotion. You feel it's a feeling you get in the situation you're in. So I didn't understand all that about fear, but the only thing I felt at that time was fear, fear of this unknown, you know, I'm going to prison. I'm going, and everybody in County jails told me before that if you get a life sentence, you get segregated out and you live with lifers. It's the toughest part of prison. And I just went to a courtroom and walked out with a life sentence. And all of these conversations are coming back to me. And, and I'm scared to death, Angie. That's that's the main mm-hmm. thing. The film, fear.
0: Yeah. And you talk, I remember you said something that I absolutely loved, you know, in some of those dark moments when you were in prison, you had a conversation, um, And you'll have to say again, who it was with that you had this, but you mentioned about how you were worried and there was a conversation around, well, you can pray or you can worry, but you
1: can't do both. Yeah. So it was, um, this is six weeks into prison. This is after I've left county jail, I've gone to prison and I'm fighting for my life at this point, six weeks in. And um, so it was on a Friday. I remember I got jumped and uh, I got, I got beat up pretty bad and and I, I was fighting back. I was surviving at that point, but I'm at the point where I'm losing, I've lost hope. And that's really what mm-hmm. life is about. Hope And prisons are so dangerous because there is no hope inside of prison. It's like the movie Shawshank. We'll talk about that at the mm-hmm. presentation in March. Shawshank is about the, it's about hope. It on whose eyes you watch it through. If you watch it through Andy Dufresne's eyes, Andy had hope, Red had none. So it's really Red's story about redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, but six weeks into prison, the hope is gone. They've beat it out of me on that Friday, Saturday morning, I get up. And I've got this, this plan. I'm going to go to church that Saturday morning, go down to the chapel. I'm going to go to one last church service. And I'm coming back to my cell. And when my roommate goes to, when my cellmate goes to wreck, I'm going to hang myself off of his top bunk. I've got it all planned Mm. out. I'm killing myself six weeks into prison. So I'm at this church service, right? There's 200 inmates in this chapel. And I'm just kind of staring ahead, you know, just blankly at, at the guy doing the sermon and I get a tap on my shoulder and it's this little uh, volunteer chaplain lady, Miss D. Miss D was like 84 years mm, old, Ms. little D, bitty lady. Yeah. Um, she taps me on the shoulder. She's like, Mr. West, I need you to come in my office. Did you come with me? I got to talk to you. So I'll follow her to her office and she sits me down. She says, Hey, Mr. West, I can see that something's bothering you today. She said, what's wrong with you, Mr. West? What's bothering you? I first thought Angie is like, man, there's 200 men serving life inside this chapel. Something's bothering mm-hmm. everybody in here, right? right this is a right. maximum security prison. Everybody's in your <sighs> intense personal struggles. How does she pick me out of the crowd? And right. I now know, looking back, it's a God thing because of this conversation mm-hmm. we're about to have. So I just started crying I just started letting it all out. And I told Ms. D, I said, I can't take it anymore. And I told her what I was going to do. I was going to kill myself. And she was just real calm, Angie. And she said, You know, you really can't do that. You can't kill yourself because you can't give up on God. I mean, the minute she mentioned God, Angie, I got so mad. I'm like, Mm. what do you mean God? How how does God create a place so wicked and evil and sinister as prison? And I think, Angie, this anger at God, everybody can relate to that, right? Sometimes we get mad, we get so upset, and sometimes we feel like, why me, you know? But, you know, it's like our our friend Ed Milet says, Ed says, life doesn't happen to you. Life happens Mm -hmm. for you. Everything in life, the good and the bad, is happening for Mm -hmm. you to become a better version of you. But six weeks into prison, I don't have that. I've never heard of Ed Milet at that point, by the way. So I'm, I'm I'm, I'm getting worked up. I'm telling her I'm so angry at God. And she's just super calm. And she has a smile on her face. She said, do you think you're the first person to get angry with God? She said the Bible's full of people that got angry at God, but they all come back to God because they learn what the secret to faith is. And I'm like, Miss D, what is the secret to faith? I need to know that right now. And that's what she told me. She said, if you're gonna pray, don't worry. And if you're gonna worry, don't pray. She said, "You can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't do God's job and your God, and your job at the same time." Yeah. She said, "You are either going to let God drive the car, or you are going to drive the car. But the last time you drove it, you parked it inside of a maximum security prison. So choose to get those keys today, but choose wisely." And she had me leave the office and go back to church. So um, that was a pivotal moment for me because it's like Huge. sometimes in life, right then in my life, I am trying to do God's job too, and and, yeah. and that's the thing about life, you know. There is a lot of variables. When we talk about the things we control and the controllables, you know, I found out there's only four things you can control. Angie, you can control what you think, what you Mm -hmm. say, what you feel, what you do. And if it's not one of those four things, it's God's that's in God's realm. I don't control that. Um, But yeah, that was a big moment for me to, if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray.
0: Yeah. It gives me goosebumps and, and. There's so many pieces in your story, right? I mean, we can talk about determination. We can talk about resilience. We can talk about adversity. But what always comes to me from hearing your story and talking to you is like, man, how blessed you are. Like, how many times did God put somebody in the right place at the right time for you from Muhammad in the beginning to Mrs. D in the chapel? It's like that just blows my mind. You have I mean, he clearly put people on your pathway to lead you to exactly where you are.
1: Yes. And that's the thing about life that I've learned. And this is like the, one of the real big lessons I get to talk about. Cause you know, I get to go to places in my conversation that not most people will get to go because of the road yeah. that I've been down. You know, I had to fight, I had to fight Nazis and skinheads and Crips mm-hmm. and Bloods and all for the right to be able to associate with everybody else. Cause Everything inside of a prison is separated by the color of your skin. Everything's about race inside there, but my mom made me Mm -hmm. promise I wouldn't come back like that. So there I am trying to navigate this difficult world, but I found this about life. This is true in life. This is important. We're in a presidential election year. If you turn yourself off to people, if you close yourself off to people because of their differences, different race, gender, ethnicity, different religion, different opinions, different political views, If you close yourself off to people because of their differences, you're gonna miss some of the most important lessons and some of the most important people, some of the biggest messengers Mm -hmm. in life come to us from all different places in life. You know, one of the biggest messengers that was sent to me in life was a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one, this little chaplain volunteer lady in the prison. Another one was this little Hispanic bank robber, my first cellmate in prison named Carlos. I mean, Carlos was a big influence in my life too. But these people that came, came to me, they didn't come from the same backgrounds as me. They don't look like me. They didn't, they didn't have the same upbringing that I did. But we are all in this giant thing called life. And if we're receptive mm-hmm. to all the messengers, then we get all the messages. That's what I've learned about yeah. life.
0: And there takes so much like letting go of judgment. I mean, we're a society that judges everything ourselves, everyone around us, every situation. And I hear in that, like, you couldn't have possibly been open minded to those messages and those people if somehow you didn't have judgment around them, that you let go of that judgment and were open and willing.
1: Yeah. And that's it. It's funny you talk about the word judgment. That's what I use of people, you know. We're a predominantly Christian nation, but when I see people being judgmental out there, that's the most unChristian thing you can be, right? I mean, like right. it's antithetical to everything that if you're a follower of Christ, and, I, and I'm a Christian, and I don't push that off on anybody. You can be whatever religion you want to be, but people that go out there and espouse, their, they wear their religion on their sleeve, and then they're judgmental. I'm like, hey, this doesn't jive, man. These are not like yeah. two things that go together, you know, being judgmental. In fact, I've found, I've read every religious book in the world, really, the the, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, the Bible, I've, I've read them all. But nowhere in there do I see judgment being part of the tenets of faith, right? And so mm-hmm. people of faith need to understand that if you're going to practice your faith and wear it on your sleeve, judgment is not one of those things. In fact, forgiving yeah. and being helpful and, and you know opening yourself up to other people, those are really the tenets of most faiths I've read about.
0: One hundred percent. I want to I want to ask you about something that has been with me since I heard you speak. And also since I read your book and it's come to come to me that like when you have somebody who has major adversity in their life, right? Like you talk about the change agent, talk about your story of redemption like you have it. And there's a lot of people out there who have other experiences, but that are so major, you know, maybe you could say it's rock bottom, but the adversity is so big. It's it gives them this push. It gives them this catapult and this ability to make something great of it. So if you think about anyone great out there, right, they have some kind of story that they're sharing around that. And I was like this and then I became like that for the everyday person. I'm in this space right now where I'm going, everybody has some kind of adversity and you have to be able to figure out what that adversity was in your life in order to use it to create change and opportunity. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, no, I I think that, and I kind of hinted to this in the very beginning that everybody's got a story to tell Mm -hmm. and everybody has overcome something in life and, uh, it's, Your ability to relate your story to someone else is really how you get your story across, right? Everybody's got an adversity story, but how do you package that up and how do you get out to other people? Because here's what I know that people like. People love to be inspired by someone else's journey. And not Mm -hmm. just about telling about, I did this, but how did you do it? That's what I mm-hmm. want to know. When I watch people speak and I, I hear people's stories, I want to know how you did that. And I, Angie, I mean, and look, I went through. You know, I talked to people all over the world, and people, for the most part, almost universally tell me that going to prison is their biggest fear in life. Mm-hmm. I'm inspired by average, every, everyday people that I see that I follow. I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by a lot of other people out there that have never gone into a prison. They don't know what the inside of a prison looks like. Again. There's a lot of different ways to be in prison. And that's the relatability Mm -hmm. of our lives with each other. How do we convey that to someone else and share our story? And that's really the thing. Like we all have a story to tell. And one of the things I want to do is help people figure out how to tell that story because, you know, not everybody's going to relate to Damon West, but somebody might relate to you. So Mm -hmm. you got to figure out how to do it.
0: Yeah. And don't you think that it's like it's the minimization of your story? You know, when you take your story or somebody else's, you know, story that seems so grand and big, people tend to minimize it. And like their story isn't enough or their adversity doesn't wasn't big enough. And it just simply isn't
1: true. Yeah, no, it's not true. I mean, that's you're spot on because now now you're 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 putting a metric up there that never existed before. That's in your head. You know, yeah. Go out there and share it. You'd be surprised how many people are inspired by just your average, everyday, normal person. And Mm -hmm. those are the stories that really catch me the most. I I scroll through Instagram and watch that that stuff that people put about. I mean, different websites, uh, different sites have different little stories that will give you something about two and a half minutes. Most of these people I've never heard of, and never could have found them if I wasn't looking for them. But yeah. Everybody's got a story to tell, and I think it's the the average person's story that we find more relatability to. I'm not a famous person, Angie. People, you know, I think less than one percent of one percent of America even knows who I am, and I think that's refreshing to a lot of people. Right? They come in a the room, they meet this guy. It's got this story, but everybody's got the story. We just got to figure out how to tell our stories.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned, you have so many pieces to your story. But what do you think? people pull the most from you. I mean you like I said, you are the most sought after speaker out there right now. You are gracing, you know, the stages of multiple companies sometimes in a single day. So what is it that people are really taking away and using?
1: Hope. Hope. Back to the word hope. That's the mm-hmm. one thing we all have to have in life and that's the thing that when Miss D was talking to me the day, she talked about uh she talked about hope in the sense that um, the seemingly, she said when people start contemplating suicide and they give up in life, she said they fall into what's called the seemingly hopeless world. And the, the key mm-hmm. word there she said was seemingly because seemingly doesn't mean it's truly hopeless. It only seems hopeless. But when we get into this, this place where we start circling the drain, all we see is the negative. All of the voice mm-hmm. we hear is the fear. And when you get trapped in that world, you don't see the light. You don't see that there's hope. And that's what I think my story brings to people it's hope. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for some people, it's different characters in my story. People draw hope from my role and my journey in my story. There's a lot of people that draw hope from my mother's role in the story. You know, my mother, yeah. who never gave up on her son, who she came to visit me over 150 times while I was in prison. 150 visits. Angie, no one had that many visits. My mom walked the earth for seven years and three months and 18 days while I was in prison and told strangers, complete strangers, pray for my son. Um, I still run into people eight years out of prison that will tell me in the area where we live in Southeast Texas, your mother had me praying for you while you were in prison. People I don't know, people that they don't even know my mom, but she would just tell everybody she ran into, pray for my my son. Mm. But it's that hope story Because here's what I know, that addiction affects every person in this country, one way or another, Angie, either Mm -hmm, you're the the addict, the victim of an addict, the friend of an addict, the family member of an addict, or you may just just be a taxpayer paying into an overburdened criminal justice system that has no idea how how to handle the disease of addiction. But addiction plays a big role in my, it plays the front role of my story, right? this guy how does this guy that had it all fall from grace so spectacularly but it's addiction and when you see someone overcome an addiction story find a program recovery and apply those rules of the program to live a normal life that gives people hope maybe they're the addict, but maybe they have a family member that's an addict people coming to when i do a presentation we have a book signing afterwards or a a chance for me to meet the audience 90 percent of the comments that come to me I've got a friend, my daughter, my son, my nephew, my niece, whatever is addicted. And your story gives me hope. So mm, there's a lot of hope in that. there, Angie. That That's the thing I've I've found. That's the theme. You know, I go into prisons a lot because I love going back in there and working with the men and women inside the, the system because I think I bring them hope. In fact, the inmates have nicknamed me the Texas prison is the smuggler of hope. That's what they call mm. a smuggle hope into prison. You hear people what about great smuggling. title. You hear people stories about people smuggling. Yeah. Smuggling dope, smuggling cell phones, smuggling contraband in. I smuggle hope. I bring oh my hope gosh. into a place where there is no hope. And that is like my role in life. And it's, you know what? I really feel like that's how God, you know, again, I'm not asking you to believe what I believe, but in my faith as a Christian, I believe that that's how God shows that he's real. I mean, right. he takes someone, breaks them down to the very basic core, that rock bottom, what you spoke about, and then builds them back up. And because you can't explain the stuff that happened in my life just on human terms, a human mm-hmm. being is not capable of all the changes that I've made in life. Mm-hmm. What I had was a spiritual awakening. I went into a dungeon, which was really my cocoon. As a mm-hmm. caterpillar and came out as a butterfly it was a spiritual awakening.
0: amazing i'm thinking of the headline about uptown burglar you know um that was your nickname back then right when you were going through that and it's like there should be a revised headline yeah. from that to smuggler of hope i mean that's just amazing what a great name to be known
1: by i wear like a badge of honor
0: Oh, as you should. I mean, to be able to give that to people. And I say all the time um, and you tell me if you believe in this as well, what you don't have borrow from somebody else. So if you have no hope, borrow it from somebody else's story. You know, if you don't have confidence, borrow it from somebody else like there. It's around you everywhere if you look for it and there are ways to kind of prove that what you want and, you know, what you're seeking, you can find. So I'm a big believer in borrowing that hope. And it sounds like that is definitely what you are putting out there.
1: Absolutely. I want to just add on one more thing that you just said about borrowing hope, which I think is great. Also give yours away to other people. It costs you Mm. nothing to help other people out and give them your hope. It's like, but think about it in terms like a candle, a lit candle can go light a million other candles and never lose its flame. Right. Mm -hmm. The candle transfers the flame to another candle And it doesn't hurt the candle. They gave it to them, You know, give your flame to other people. Transfer that to as many. It doesn't take anything away from your flame. More Mm -hmm. of the pie for someone else doesn't mean less of the pie for you. You know, give that stuff away. Give out your hope.
0: Mm. I love that. That's a that's a great takeaway right there. Be thinking about how can you give out that hope? One of the things that I I wish we had time to get into, but we don't. But I'm going to kind of do a little, um, you know, foreshadowing of what's to come at the event is really understanding how in the world you went from coming out of prison to sharing your story and being the most sought after speaker. And I mean, we've had conversations about this, right? There's a lot of people out there who do have a message to share and they're trying every day to get it out there. And they're going, how in the heck do I get on a stage? How do I get companies to want to hear my story? And my gosh, you are the person to ask. So for those of you who are really wondering, like, how does he do it? I'm going to be doing a special Q&A with Damon at the event, digging into, you know, his tips and tricks and the process and and the pushing that he's had to do to really get him to this place where he's the most sought after speaker. And he's on the road 25 times, at 25 days out of the month speaking. So any, you know, anything you want to share around that, Damon?
1: Yeah, no, first of all, like, I'm so stoked that you allowed me to like do this because I'm creating a masterclass for speaking. And that's something mm-hmm. I'm going to charge for because that's something yeah. that's like, what I've been able to do, I know is like, there's so many people out there. I get hit up all the time. So i you know, John Gordon was like, you got to create a video series about this because you've navigated it faster than anybody probably ever has. Mm-hmm. And I had help along the way, but you're allowing me to go out there and give this masterclass away for free to kind of like give it a test run at this, at your event. So I'm grateful for that. I'm going to share everything that I can put into an hour conversation. If we want to have an hour, however long you want to talk how I did it, because there's so many different things that I've learned and, and things that I've learned that, that, that were mistakes. So you don't have to make the mistakes and I've already made them, but I've got a lot to share on this Angie. I mean, like, like, And it's true. It's crazy. It's like, how does someone navigate that world? I walk out of a prison in 2015, 2019 uh, have one of the biggest selling books of the year called the coffee bean. Mm -hmm. And then the world becomes this giant pot of boiling water and the message becomes more relevant. But, but now at this point in 2024, it's everywhere. And, and, and like I said, less than 1% of 1% of America even knows who I am. Think about that on the terms of the scale that I'm speaking And nobody really knows who I am still. I've got a lot more runway to go, but I've got a lot of information to share. And and if if y'all will come to me to this event and and bring your questions, ask me your questions, let me help you get down that road. Because when I got out of prison, there wasn't a road there. It was just a forest full of trees. But now there's a a super highway going through that forest. Come with me on the highway. That's what I want your people to do. After my presentation's over, let's have this Q&A and let me share everything I've got inside my brain.
0: I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's so true. It's like, you know, to learn from somebody who has already done it, this is the shortcut, you all, you know? And it's something that I've learned most recently, I can say over the last, you know, year or so is that don't do it alone. You know, when you try to do it alone, yes, you may eventually get there, but it's a heck of a lot harder. It takes a lot longer. And I have learned to tap in and connect and rely on people like you who are so generous and and willing to share this information. Um, I remember asking Ed Milet on a plane ride home from the event where we met, like, I am trying to get on more stages. You know, how do I do that? And he was like, Get on, you know, 50 podcasts this year, like do that first and be known. So it's like you can get these little snippets, but to have someone like you, your undivided attention and to really just hammer you with the questions about how to do it is just going to be absolutely amazing. So I'm so excited about it.
1: I'm excited, too. I can't wait to share it. I've never shared all this stuff with anybody in one spot either. So this is like it's a first for me. I've never yes. talked about doing this on a podcast. This is a first for me. Uh, a little bit outside the comfort zone thing. But, I, I you know, it's time. It's time for me to start, start sharing this stuff and put it all into one place. And you're kind of the spark for that. You know, when we met her coffee a few months ago in California, and you're like, hey, Damien, you got to figure this out. You know, time is running out. So it was like the spark that it got me going, okay, I'm going to launch this at Angie's event. I'm going to share with everybody what I know.
0: I love it. And something tells me you're used to being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. I, I grow more in, in those moments than any other moment. You know, growth takes place outside your comfort zone. And um, that's why I've learned that I, I grow the most.
0: 100%. Well, Damon, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. And I know, I, I just know that people who are listening are like, I can't believe she didn't ask him this. I can't believe she didn't ask him this because you really are. It's like our conversation could go in 20 different directions. But that is our time, and I know you have a stage to come be to on. As striker.
1: Come to the event. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So come so to good. the event. <laughs>
0: you heard of you yeah. all. Come to the event, um, and we're doing that amazing premium VIP That's dinner. It. Like you want to sit next to Damon at dinner with only twenty five people. Get your ticket. And come join him for dinner. We got a VIP lunch, all sorts of good stuff, but thank you. Thank you for sharing your message of hope today. I'm so grateful for you and our relationship and having you on this podcast and having you on the event March. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Angie. I cannot wait. Thank you for the opportunity to share with your audience and your group and your people. It's really truly a gift. So thank you very much. I'll see you in March. See you in March.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sharing Wisdom, you all. Um, if you know someone who needs this message of hope, resilience, overcoming adversity, faith, all these good tidbits that were in there today, share this podcast with them. Be the spreader of hope for somebody else today. Love for you to leave a comment, like the podcast. It all does so much. And if you are interested in meeting Damon in person, coming to the event, learning more about speaking and how to get that going for yourselves, join us March 9th again intentional in Orange County. In the show notes, we'll have a link for you to get your tickets there. As always, get out there, be present and be non-negotiable about what you want in your life.